warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. It's Real Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Hi, Scott here. Joining me today, my dear friend Stephen. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Yes, it's an afternoon rather than a morning for a change. It is, uh, and it's a Saturday. Still pleasure to be here. Yeah, Saturday <laughs> rather than a Sunday. Um, oh, nothing changes, eh? nothing to do with what's going on in the world around us. That hasn't influenced our recording schedule because we're recording over Skype as usual. I'll probably be all over by the time this comes out. <laughs> <laughs> this is really going to it's really going to carbon date this episode isn't it the uh, yeah. the fact that we're talking about viruses and that it's a special edition mm. of the show we're recording on a saturday afternoon because we're joined by our dear friend anthony from the glass onion on john lennon podcast again good afternoon sir hello how are you how are you Stephen? glad well, to be right? catching up with you again mate yes how's things yeah. uh, where you are tunbridge wells is it yeah, I was saying to you earlier, there's a weird kind of normality around here because it's very quiet and uh, I think social distancing already happens anyway. So, <laughs> Nobody uh, talks to each one of my, Actually, one of my students well. online said something very funny. He said, I've just, I've just realised that I live my general life more or less in quarantine anyway. <laughs> he was talking about himself, but I could almost apply that to myself. But oh, yeah, very strange. As I told you, I've been following it all online and on the news and it's Almost like a, a parallel world of some kind. <laughs> Very quiet here, and I, you know, yeah, yeah. Supermarkets aren't too mad, so. Oh no, yeah. it's, it's desperate here at the moment, and yeah, I've been working from home for about the last three or four days because mm. it hit London, sort of, you know, pretty much in advance of everywhere else. Yeah, and you know, talking of of movies, it was the old cliche: Trafalgar Square and Westminster Bridge and places like that looked like. 28 days later last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fascinating time, but also quite frightening. Yeah. Now, last time you were here, we spoke at length about the Richard Lester movie, How I Won the War, mm. primarily because it featured John Lennon, which is your specialist field, your podcast. Yep. And I think it'd be fair to say that the three of us were a little surprised at, at what we watched. It's probably not the movie we're expecting. And mm. I think we all went away feeling that we probably needed to re-watch it for a second time in order to try and make our minds up a bit. Now, Anthony and I actually met for a drink um, last weekend, wasn't it, sir? Last last Sunday. Yeah, just before the madness completely kicked just in. Just before, just wasn't got it? got in there. Before yeah. the pubs closed. And... Uh, <laughs> that wasn't exactly what I was referring to. <laughs> that wasn't the madness <laughs> I was referring to, but anyway. And, and you said you was going to try and take the opportunity to, to re-watch it and chat about it today with us. Stephen, I take it you haven't actually had a chance to re-watch it as yet. I, ha- I haven't as it happens now, so we're, we're 
at least one of us has. So mm, yeah. uh, we can want it took one for the team. And, yeah, uh, I, I mean personally, I haven't gone back to it because I think I decided I needed to leave it a little longer before I took another look. Yeah. So, your opinion, mate? Has it changed? What 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 was the second viewing like for you? What did you decide? Well, as we kind of expected, I don't know what score we gave it, seven or something like that. It kind of went up to an eight. Yeah, out of my five stars, I gave it a three, eight. I think, with the yeah. potential it may go up one. On it went up to one. eight with a heart, as they say on the flick chart. <laughs> um, yeah, it was It was funny. We, we talked last time, the first time you watch a film, particularly if you know you're going to review it, there's a kind of pressure. You've got to process it and make notes and all that kind of thing. So I just let it wash over me and... Yeah, it was just great. It was, it's, there's lots and lots of ideas. It, it fits very well in with Python and even early Beatles movies in a way because help is pretty surreal and, and weird. Yeah. But uh, it, it, it kind of did what I thought, which was it went up slightly more in my estimation, and I definitely would recommend it. If you like surrealism and, and your anti-war as well. And my favorite line, I think, was at the end. If, do you remember... Do you remember all those kind of, what do we call them, toy soldiers, all those painted soldiers yeah, that so represent... colours, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they yeah. represent the dead guys. Well, at the end, I don't know if you remember this, but at the end, all the soldiers are these painted soldiers. And one of them says to the other one, uh, oh, I heard there's a war coming up in Vietnam. And the other one, are you going to be in it? And he says, oh, no, I don't like the director. <laughs> and I thought that, I remembered that line before, but I thought that summed it up well. But yeah, it was nice watching it without any pressure to... to process it particularly you know and also I'd already done that once yeah and also expecting certain elements of it this time because i think the surrealism mm. of it last time sort of put me off kilter a little bit was that the same for you Stephen, as well mate because I, I, I didn't i was expecting more of a comedy just a broad comedy knowing that it was richard yeah. lester knowing that roy kinnear was in it and people like that so that's yeah, the real side of it have mm. a bit more of a of a uh, of a sort of narrative and sort of be more oh. traditional sort of knockabout um, sense that we were used to in the, the British films like that. And it, it it obviously had a different angle to it all. So it, it did throw me out, which I think is why a rewatch is a valid thing to do because it, it wasn't, didn't have the, the conventional comedy that I was expecting in it and the conventional narrative, even even less so than some of the Python films, really, as mm. far as a, a, a sort of yeah. strong, strong um, central plot sort of on it. So Yeah, I think we all um, went away agreeing that it wasn't a bad movie. It's just mm. we have to go back, think about it, possibly take another look and then rejudge it in our own brain just to get our heads around yeah. what we'd actually watch. So that second viewing for you, Anthony, actually really worked out then, mate. Yeah, I think um, the other things that came out, I think the Michael Horden character, you know, the sort of bluff general, mm. some sort of pre-runner of General Melcher, he kind of was okay, but that's kind of one note. And Michael Crawford, I don't feel, is massively charismatic. He's all right, you know, but that kind of bumbling thing perhaps gets a bit annoying after an hour, you know. I think we all found that. <laughs> <laughs> it made a certain point. But in a funny way, this uh, my mind comes up with weird parallels, but in a funny way, this is doing what Apocalypse Now did because you know, you know about all the madness of making Apocalypse yes, Now. Yes, the heart attack and, and it, yeah. Mm. Yeah, Martin Cheese heart attack. But the only parallel I was going to say, that in the end, Apocalypse Now just became about the complete madness and confusion in Vietnam, which mm. came out of the confusion of making this film. And I think this, in a funny, weird way, even though it's nothing to do with Apocalypse Now, is doing the same thing. It's just a bunch of disjointed images and ideas not really strung together with any plot. 
but very effective, almost as, as single things, you know? Mm, I will go back to it. Um, Some great lines as well. I mean, there's loads and loads of cricket metaphors, as you can imagine. Is there? So things like that mm-hmm. sort of missed a lot of the, the nuances of it. So a second watch is probably mm-hmm. in order, but I'm not, I'm not quite ready for it just yet. I want to, personally, I just want to leave it for a, at least six months before I rewatch yeah. it. Probably the same for you, Stephen. Is it not something you're immediately going to be drawn back to, is it? Yeah, I mean, I think this is another part of it that I agree with, that giving it a bit more distance, uh, and I can agree with what Anthony's saying about um, sort of looking at it with a, now with an eye where it isn't so much the, the sort of making mental notes of stuff to reference for yeah. real as such. there's too many yeah. um yeah you kind of you can you can look at it in a different way then and sort of take it in i do think more time um for me than than we've had since we watched it would actually um, benefit my appraisal of it oh, but so, yeah. obviously not leaving it too long either because otherwise it's just like a, a, a fresh watch anyway yeah so it's getting that right balance i think is the, yeah fully is understand that mate so there yeah. we go. Have you any any more to add to that, Anthony, at all? Any further comments no, on just, it at all? No, just going to say it could be your post-quarantine film, so however long. <laughs> uh, Depends how long we're we, working from home, yeah. All we can do is inject black humour, can't we? We can't help the situation. That's so it. That's the only reason I'm doing that, by the way. <laughs> Not a lot Not, we can do. Yeah, yeah. So... With How I Won the War, that was sort of agreed by mutual consent, wasn't it? We, Because of the John Lennon connection, I think we all decided that we needed to talk to you specifically about a John Lennon movie. But for this appearance on the show, we've asked you to select something yourself, Anthony. So mm. what have you come up with for today? I, I feel like I've been talking up this film maybe a bit too much. <laughs> uh, so much about films, you know, is, is the context of when you first see them, for example. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when I was a kid, I think I saw this when I was about 12 or something, and I was already into black and white films. Like, I had a friend at school whose mum had an amazing, like, VHS collection. Mm. So we were watching all, like, 50 sci-fi, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Hitchcock and all stuff like that. Mm. And me and my sisters, one one summer, sort of late 80s must have been, we started recording film whatever the late film was, we'd record it because we'd just got video recorder, yeah. and we'd watch it first thing in the morning. So we came down and we watched this film and there was just something about it because it was, it was winter as well, is the other thing. It just kind of all fit together as this completely quintessential British film mm-hmm. with all the tropes, you know, all the... Yeah, well, we'll get, we'll get to it. Yeah. But, um, so, so much of it was contextual and I do like heist films. I know we're going to talk about that later. So it's a kind of context, but it, it's a very... I think the word they always use is taut, T-A-U-T. It's a taut thriller. I don't mm-hmm. think there's too much fat on it. There's too, not too many boring bits. Yeah. And it's basically guys who, well, Stanley Baker is really the star of it, and it's really about Stanley Baker, really. Um, he's had an honorable, sorry, dishonorable discharge from the army because it turns out him and another another one of the, the gang of three, they were running, uh, what was it, dodgy coffee trade in Hamburg after the war yeah that was it yeah and um so he's got a sort of grudge against the army and the army are going out I think to the Middle East and they're shipping a lot of money out or something I can't remember it's it's Mm. set around the Suez so it's set just a few years before it was actually made yeah yeah so there's a lot of um money on the premises so they come up with this idea they've got an explosive expert uh mechanic 
And then Stanley Baker is kind of a bit of a thinker, a bit of an all-rounder. So they had the idea to get into this army barracks and blow the safe to make off with the money. Okay. Stanley Baker rapidly becoming a firm favourite of the podcast. I think you'll agree, Stephen, won't you, mate? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Yeah, he's um, he's somebody we've spoke about recently, actually, on um, on the podcast due to Violent Playground, that his appreciation of him, I think, we've been overlooked and Mm. forgotten um, what a, a... a sort of central figure he was in a lot of you know, the British cinema yeah. at one point. I think his legacy doesn't really do you know doing justice now um, as far as recognition goes. But if you actually look at what he did, absolutely was um, one of the people that was the pillars of um, British cinema. Yeah, so. it's not just mm. Hell Drivers and Zulu, basically, which is what most mm. people would think of. Very quickly before we go into the proper review, Stephen, without giving too much away, is there any surprises coming up in the Village Hall of Fame? Not really. No, we've got, <laughs> we've got five um, five new inductees. Oh, well, that's yeah. that's good enough to start with. Five. I was pretty sure there would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's um, a great around. great supporting cast which we will talk about. Yeah. Okay. Let's just wait and see when you unlock the doors to the Village Hall uh, a little later on. But for now, it's back to 1962 which I believe is about the same year as um, Violent Playground, I think, was 62, wasn't it? It was, yeah, I should have looked to see. Yeah, we'll double check, yeah. But it's Stanley Baker and a prize of arms back after this. Why the devil didn't I think of it before? How can you be so sure? Look, Jim, it hasn't rained since last night, has it? Couldn't be due condensation. Those tracks were made last night and that's last night's rain in them. They were made to fool us. Yes, and fooled we were. You see what this means, don't you? They wanted us to think they'd got away. Now, there's only one reason why they'd want us to think that. Yeah. Because they wanted to stay in the camp, which means they may still be here, army personnel or not. A Prize of Arms, released in the UK, October 1962, directed by Cliff Owen, starring Stanley Baker and Tom Bell. Also starring possibly the most German name ever, Helmut Schmid, along <laughs> with Patrick McGee. And we will get to mention possibly this lot. Listen to this lot. We've got Rodney Buse, Stephen Lewis, Garfield Morgan, Jeffrey Palmer, Michael Robbins, Fulton Mackay... William Marlowe. The synopsis, set in 1956, the film follows a criminal gang as it tries to rob an army pay convoy during the Suez Crisis. The screenplay was co-written by a certain Nicholas Rogue, went on Mm. to have directorial success, didn't he, with, was it Walkabout and Don't Look Now, things like that, later on. Yeah. Let's start immediately with our guest, Anthony. I get the impression you're Mm. a big fan of this movie, just... I mean, you've sort of hinted as why you selected it, but it's obviously mm. stayed with you, hasn't it? It's, it's something that you watched in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And it's something you go back to, and I'm, I'm, you've got a great fondness. I've already sort of gathered that so far. Yeah, I'm not going to, like, pretend it's some classic film and that it should have won lots of Oscars, because it's it kind of fits into sort of minor... And that's not, not even in a bad way, just... it's. It, Stanley Baker, unfortunately, although he did make some huge films, <laughs> he's just very solid, wasn't he? But he's not perhaps... I mean, I think he was a star, but... Yeah, this is a B-movie for him, though, isn't it fair to say? I would say. It's a, it's a very... Yeah, it's a respectable B-movie. I yeah. said there's nothing... I don't think there's any massive plot holes in it, and it's... I, I do love Heist. Should we talk about that now? We will do in a second. So I just want to check okay. with Stephen. Have you seen it before? I haven't. No, this is... Um, I've seen... I've, I've seen it on lists before, as far as you know, by um, the 
number of the actors that are in it and stuff so i was aware of its existence but um i've not seen it before so it's good to actually um have it um brought more to the fore for me to actually um give it the attention it deserved so. yeah oh. well, well talking of heist movies i mean i i like stanley baker in robbery which was the, yeah, the obvious connection that, yeah. with the great train robbie in the 60s podcast that i do um, so I was looking forward to this being Stanley Baker being another heist type movie give us your thoughts on heist movies I know you've got some stuff prepared there Anthony mate let's have a listen yeah yeah I did a few minutes of research It's <laughs> <laughs> more than Stephen did more minutes than we did I have a yeah I have a film very geeky I have a film database of like all the stuff I've seen and uh, no I mean there's uh, apart from Robbery which I saw once uh, four huge heist films that I love is The Asphalt Jungle Ooh. I'm sure you know John Huston and yep. Sterling yeah. Hayden, who's amazing. Early Marilyn kill- Monroe. Early Marilyn Monroe, mm-hmm. yeah. The Killing, which is early Kubrick. Mm-hmm. And did you guys, if you've seen The Killing, did you spot the similarity at the very end? We'll get. I can't remember it at all because all I always right, get we'll The get- Killing mixed up with The Killers, which was about the same time. Oh yeah, well, The Killing was the racetrack. Yeah. Probably. Mm. So not a million miles away from this. Uh, taking a Pelham one two three, which is well oh, up there. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I was up. I was. Uh, it was a pity that you've already done that one with stinky paws. Cause yes, yeah, it's going to throw my hat to the mm. ring there. <laughs> That's a huge favourite. And then Reservoir Dogs. So those four films would be well up there with my favourites. It's it's a it's a genre you you admire. You you like a heist movie. You'd, you'd always yeah have a look at a heist movie no matter what it is and make your mind up. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is. I found an analogy. I used to do amateur theatre. Mm. I was an actor. And uh, a heist is like a, it's like a performance, basically. So in this film and in all those other films, you know, all the, the they've planned it all. They've quote unquote learned their lines. You know, they know in this film they know how to get past this checkpoint. Basically, they let Stanley Baker do all the talking. Yes. And you've got to so you've got to perform, do your job, not get too nervous, which is exactly like amateur theatre. And you've got to hope that stuff that's out of your control doesn't go wrong, like. I've done many an amateur play where there'd be some objects on a table and then one of them inexplicably rolls off or a glass <laughs> smashes and you've got to decide, oh shit, am I going to just laugh that off, pretend it's part of the plot, blah, blah, blah. So I like the performance aspect of it. You've, you've so, sort of hit on something that I made a note of because with every heist movie, you always get that feeling that you know, you've got the questioning in your mind, are they going to get away with it or aren't they? And in most cases, they don't usually get away with it cleanly. You know, the, the four you've mentioned, Italian job, League of Gentlemen, we can throw those in there if we could, you know, if we wanted to. But yeah. what I like particularly here was that sort of every five minutes or so, something happened and you're left thinking, oh, they're not going to get away with it. And then that bit gets resolved. And then there's another little mm-hmm. obstacle, bit like you saying, the props being broken on stage. Yeah. How do you resolve that aspect of it they was always coming up with a little hurdle they had to come over that they hadn't accounted for so i think that's a classic mm. trope of of you know of the um heist you know um genre where mm. they you know it is yeah. constantly questioning whether that they're going to get caught at that point but the inventiveness and the thing that usually makes um a, a heist movie stand out is the way in which those are, are built into the plot without them being um, too obviously there just to make you think they're actually yeah. they look quite natural but also the inventiveness with which it's believable that they can overcome those obstacles because like you say it's very rehearsed 
they've got the set plan um, for them to follow and how yeah. they deal with the eventualities of things going wrong. If it's too easy, then it, you know that it's not believable. And if, and if it's too difficult, again on the other side, you say, well, there's no way they would have been able to to deal with that situation on the ground. So what yeah. Scott's hitting on there is absolutely right. That you, although there's the that happens in a lot of films that are heist films. In in this film, the way in which it's been done, it, it gets that right balance each time and keeps you guessing all the way through. Even though you know yeah. the length of the actual f- runtime of the film, you're still left with that that guess about oh, whether they're was, gonna they're gonna yeah. overcome it. There was some um, clever stuff in this that at every turn I was thinking, oh, that's clever the way they've resolved that or. Throughout the movie, where they're setting things up and you don't know why they're doing certain things, and then half an hour later it comes into play that they needed that fire extinguisher or the thing with the tyre tracks at the beginning, which I'd forgotten about. Um, Can we go back to the beginning? Because, again, that was something you wanted to discuss, I think, Anthony, wasn't it, at the beginning of the movie? Um, Yeah, well, when... (laughs) One of the things about old old films, I, I do like. I just recommend a podcast that I'm nothing to do with called Classic Film Jerks. I may have talked about Stephen. Weren't you on that? Were you? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I went American podcast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're Canadian. I, went, I was. Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, I did the searches actually on That's on right. them. Um, oh, right. Years ago, they invited me on, and um, I, I was actually mentioned it recently when um, Scott asked us to do the searches on stinking pods yes. um oh. i said i remembered reviewing that on there and the 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 guy i think it's clear um is the sort of lead voice on it he had a very he had an absolutely amazing um link at the end of the film because the next one they were doing was holiday in um mm. and because we reviewed searches he amazingly the he said well, we've done the best Western, now we'll go to the Holiday Inn. And I was like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, so, yes, the, the, and, um, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly um, clever um, format that they've got there and the, their reviews. Yeah. So, yeah, so carry on anyway. But, mm, the, yeah, yes, cool. I, 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 you know, I've been on there and, and it's, it's one I'd recommend as well. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah, I mean, all I was going to say was that they, yeah, it's fun to make fun of old films because they have... They do. Do you remember that thing they have? They have a section called "So Old." Yes. Mm. And they have a guy go "So Old," <laughs> and it's all this stuff that would just never happen these days. Yes. And they, just to give you one example, they were talking about, like, if you think about security in nineteen, they were doing like um, some heist film. I can't remember which one from the fifties or something. You think about the way security is now. You think, how did criminals ever not get away with it? Like, how did they ever get caught? Because in those days, you can just you could just go into government buildings. Yeah, there you was could, no CCTV. The alarm no, systems weren't yeah. particularly elaborate. Yeah, yeah, totally. Agree. It was, it's so easy to just photos get on them. That was a that was a, <laughs> a photo on your ID. It was just a. You know, your driving license was just had your name on it. It didn't have a picture, and you're going, "No, this is me." And people go, oh, "Okay." Yeah, but the way you could just go into buildings, and it's it, surely it wasn't that difficult to disappear. Surely. Yeah, well... You just take off one day. And... They were helped in this case by the fact that the main guard in the building here was Stephen Lewis. Yeah. Um, yeah, Blakey from... Uh, yeah, yeah. And he was only looking for a butler, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the things, actually, I did want to say um, about this, did you notice there was quite a bit of foreshadowing, which I think put it slightly above your sort of uh, generic formula heist film? 
in that you see Tom Bell, we'll get to this, I guess, but he's very, he's obviously the weak link. And you'll notice in most heist films, there's always generally a cool guy, the guy in charge, like Robert Shaw in Pelham, mm. you know, it's pretty cool. But you always get one who's a loose cannon. Yes. And so you get these sort of foreshadowing with, you see Fenner with his um, flask of, I guess it's whiskey it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. And he's obviously very jumpy. You know, he'll just fly off the handle. And, and I was thinking, the second time I watched this was a few years ago, I was thinking, oh, is that the thing that, that undoes them? Mm. And then Stanley Baker has this weird premonition about rain, doesn't he? So the very first thing that in the film, which is them making the car tracks, so so basically that the authorities think that they've left the barracks. Yeah. Um, right at the beginning, Stanley Baker's going, oh, something about rain, there's something wrong. And then, of course, it, it turns out that, you know, it... it hadn't it didn't rain the next day so they knew the car tracks were from the day before so yeah it had it's just this film's just a little bit of a cut above it's a you could call it a b movie but i think it's a very good b movie it's very cleverly scripted with things like that mm. is the way it's thought out particularly like you say the foreshadowing or the way they set things up in advance to be used a little bit later on as i said um, i forgot mm. sorry scott i forgot the beginning that was yeah the bit i was going to talk about mm. No, there's this really funny bit where um, so you see Tom Bell making these car tracks and then Stanley Baker's uh, testing this flamethrower. But he's there, it's in the middle of the night, more or less, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, the he's quarry. just making these enormous explosions with his flamethrower. <laughs> Didn't you think that's a bit conspicuous? <laughs> just making these massive fires. It set the dogs off barking, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah there was a farmhouse or something in they the distance, up a, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, a farmer's yeah. boy or something. But no, I thought that was quite funny. And then uh, the the other bit, they, they had this brilliant uh, old movie trope where they turn on the TV or the radio and the first thing that comes on is the thing that impacts them. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. they hear a thing on the radio, <laughs> don't they, that they've decided to go ahead with the, the troop evacuation, basically. The, the thing so. that struck me about the first sort of five, ten minutes is mm. when they're in the, the barn or the abandoned whatever it is, the abandoned shed thing, mm. And they're waking up in the morning and they're, you know, having a quick cup of coffee and having a quick wash and getting changed. How cold was that there? I actually believed yeah. that they were freezing there. Yeah. It was so, their teeth were almost chattering. It was like, it, I could actually feel the cold in that yeah. building. It, it was just so believable. Um, let's talk about Tom Bell then. We, you know, we've touched on sort of Stanley Baker a little bit. Mm. Stephen, Tom, um, Tom Bell, what do you know him yeah. from? For me, because for me, it's more sort of older Tom Bell that I know from sort of TV series of the late seventies and the eighties. Not really his early movie stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Prime Suspect's been um, of course, the, yeah, that's the prime the example. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That was, I think, where for me, my first real awareness of of him. Mm. Um, obviously, revisiting in, in various other things, and I think. It, there was a film um, preaching to the perverted, I think she was in, uh, which was a, a, a sort of car carry on kinking type thing, um, <laughs> which was, uh, I think he was in there, but he, he, he transitioned, I think in his, his career, he moved to being the sort of the, the corrupt salesman or the, mm. the, the corrupt um, sort of, commander um mm -hmm. in the police or whatever and i think that you know that's where he he, he went to and i don't know whether that's partly to do with his, his angular features or whatever but 
Um, certainly his early career is still something that is um, somewhat a mystery, mystery to me. And I think seeing him in this um, and seeing him not as this um, uh, older character who is basically self-assured and, and controlling the situation and Machiavellian in some ways, this being uh, the, the weak link, like you've, you pointed out, I think he's showing him in a different light as far as what, you know, the roles... Um, that he had earlier on in his career. We've had this a few times, haven't we, where we've gone back and watched some of these older movies and they're fill, filled up with future sitcom stars or future TV stars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this is a prime example, isn't it? Prime anyway, example list, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to go into the Hall of Fame very shortly just to try and mop up some of these names. But, mm. I mean, Tom Bell's performance for you, Anthony, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, it's... You know, I wouldn't call it a masterpiece of understatement. You know, it's <laughs> another another sort of way that I think acting has developed over the last sixty years is, I think it has become a bit more subtle. Like in these old movies, you'll notice they just sort of fly off the handle, just you know, just very very suddenly. It's not it's not particularly subtle, but he's he's good. You know, I mean, it, it's like I say. I like I like more the foreshadowing, the fact that you can see, you know, he's sipping his flask of whiskey, and you think, oh, I wonder if that's gonna be the downfall. Is that gonna, mm. Yeah, is that gonna be their downfall somehow? Yeah. But uh, yeah, there, there's a funny bit where because um, you, you get a little bit of insight into his character because there's a bit where he starts needling Stanley Baker and saying something about the German. He's called Khan, isn't he? The third yes. guy. Yeah. And he says, oh, "Are you sure about him?" Blah blah. blah. I thought it might be in uh, bad planning or something like that. So there's always this kind of testiness between those two yeah, and then uneasy. Stanley Baker said uh, oh why don't you make something explode to work it off or something and it <laughs> so hinting that he's some sort of pyromaniac he says to Con that, that he's totally amoral mm. which is probably why they hired him of course that is a good trait for a criminal but so he's obviously a loose cannon basically is he <laughs> sort of an outsider then because Stanley Baker and Con must have been part of these dodgy dealings in Hamburg or were yeah. all, all three of them part of it, do you reckon? No, he seems a bit younger, doesn't he? That's what I'm thinking. I think, yeah, so, yeah. I think from the dialogue within the, the film, I think it, it mentions that he's been brought in. Yeah. Um, and, and as you say, that that Con sort of questioning whether he's all right sort of thing. And, and yeah. that, that, that does imply to me that the other two were already established uh, as previously having had history whereas this this guy was coming in as a, a third wheel because he's a mechanic isn't he yeah uh, yeah yeah he's coming in because he's got a specialism to offer and i mean we know we know in heist films um it's become a trope in in future films where there was the, the people with the different specialisms where That's right, yeah. um you know the the bit of muscle the bit of the, the sort of technical brains the bit of person to go in and do the the sort of in disguise and charming sort of thing, yeah, and, crowd and, control and yeah, and, like, and that kind of thing, and and the you know the, those are uh, uh, tropes that you know were exploited, um, you know, like you had the the TV series Hustle, which you know just mm. you know just laid it out bare. It was just you know the formula was there, but here the, it's paired down to three people, and they're, they're you know I think that that was that was right for this. The plotting of this film and the, the scale of which what they were doing um it fit exactly right and i think each one of them is 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 playing their part not just as far as within the plot the actual characters but also the people who are playing those characters i think they're all doing it spot on really mm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's perfect for this. Um, mm. oh, I forgot, actually, another heist was uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Sorry, oh, just to throw yeah. that in. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how many heist films are among my favorite films. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think right from the beginning, there's there's obviously some sort of needle between the three of them. I mean, I don't know, Tom Bell and Helmut Schmidt, they don't really have much of a relationship, but they're kind of all almost like questioning each other kind of thing, so... Yeah, you need you need some conflict to make a movie work because mm-hmm. if it was going to be too smooth running, you wouldn't have a plot really. You'd have no, yeah. you know, nothing to to overcome. I uh, love in the weak link how uh, the 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 team that is yeah. but, that, that, they, that does they, inject a bit of jeopardy, doesn't mm, it? A bit of peril. But they all take their turn in yeah. being the weak link at certain points because there's one part where Con, who's German has mm. to go in and change the fire extinguishers. And it's like, be careful, there's a really chatty MP there. So don't yeah. say anything. So he's putting himself at risk if he opens his mouth and, again, very cleverly overcomes it by popping a piece of paper in his mouth to answer questions, mm. doesn't he? And he's like, so he could disguise the, the fact that he's got a German accent. Tom Bell obviously nearly causes the whole thing to fall apart by getting caught running and actually swigging from the flask by Patrick McGee. That's right, um, yeah. and then being made to do like cleaning the pans in 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 the naffy. There was a couple of things. The bit where they get caught trying to steal the stretcher, and they're in the infirmary or dispensary, I think they call it. I can't remember. And yeah, they get discovered that they haven't had their inoculations because obviously they're not part of the the team that are going out to to Suez. Why did they actually go back and have those inoculations? Was it because their names were written down? Because they could have quite easily have just hidden and not turned up. Or did I miss something? Uh, Stephen? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I, I'm not I, sure. I think that the... They took their paybooks, the didn't they? Because there was, yeah. it was getting their names out there on, on a number of references and different points. Mm. Yeah. So that they were, their names were recognised, but it was only when they did the final deep dive to find out that they weren't, actually part of the crew even though they'd been they'd covered the tracks um in that respect but i think also part of it was that they um they got cornered with it really that they um that had to give their names and um when they got cornered about whether they'd had the injections or not um when they went into that part of the the compound and to not then turn up later on would have, would have caused a lockdown probably, or something. It's probably made a search fail yeah. to actually say, well, you know, yeah. I need to search for these people. And that would have probably created more questions than, than they would have been um, able to evade. So I think that was, it was a bit of sort of being backed into a corner and then covering the, the traps with their names, giving credibility to their names yeah. and, and them being part of the unit. But um, it, 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 again, it's one of those subtleties in it. Um, mm. which um, sort of lifts this um, above the idea that it's a, a, a B-movie. I can mm. understand how it's easy to to uh, mistake it for that, but I think that, you know, the whole reason why we're looking at it is because it is above, it is above that yeah. um, level and it is down to the subtleties and the way in which, as a, a, the genre is done, these little things like that, you might question it, but when you rewatch. You, you start going, oh, actually, now I see see why that's done. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, which allow you know, I've been able to rewatch a film and still get something out of it. I think is an essential component for what makes a good film, anyway. Mm. Uh, for a, sorry, yeah, go on, Anthony. Go on. No, I was going to say, I think Turpin also, uh, Stanley Baker is very cautious, and he, a bit, you could almost say he's a little bit paranoid, or you know, he, he, he gets, a, he seems to have a bit of a bad feeling about the whole thing, like he's he's quite worried that it's not going to work out. So I think it's, I think they're just trying to be as natural as possible. And, I think he can see that mm. there are so many points throughout this process that could potentially go wrong. Yeah, because if yeah. one bit isn't in place that's going to create the downfall of the whole operation. It needs to run like clockwork. So when the stretcher's missing, they have to be creative to try and find another stretcher. They find another stretcher, then they get caught for not having their inoculations. And and as I said before, it's like every five minutes, it's like they're not going to get away with this. But then they overcome that bit, and then it's like, oh, no, but now they've got to do this. And then also at the same time as a first-time watch, you're looking and thinking, well, why are they doing that? in particular the um, fire extinguishers for me I'm like well why are they doing that or Mm. the tyre tracks at the beginning I completely forgot until after you know until that comes into play an hour into the movie an hour and 15 minutes into the movie and then disabling the the the, doing spoilers here unfortunately Uh, um, (laughs) disabling one of the other lorries so therefore that lorry doesn't make out the compound so they yeah. slot yeah. themselves into They're number 30 in the compound number 30 yeah, yeah. and yeah. only um, one of the again, fire that, alarms that, as well you know only yeah. one and not the other you know don't touch that no it will set off the you know they're on the same circuit he says and, and you yeah think, and you think oh, and, I, and when it comes well, into play 5 10 minutes later you think that's actually quite clever that's really clever yeah. the way this script is written and i'll tell you what also i enjoyed about this we're saying it's a b movie but some of the pyrotechnics, the special effects, the scale of it, 30 trucks, you know, as, as part of it. I, I want to say, I mean, you mentioned Stanley Baker at the beginning in the quarry with the flamethrower. Mm. When they actually set the paymaster's hut alight, I think Stanley Baker with a flamethrower is possibly my newest favourite thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that? Stanley Baker, and it's not a stuntman is there mm. with this proper flamethrower just giving it some welly. Um, mm. And even the bit at the end when he's on top of the truck with it as well, you know. Yeah. Absolutely loved it because, as I say, it's, it's, it would be classed as a B-movie if this would have been on a double bill with something else as the second feature back in 62. Yeah. But you certainly got your value for money out of this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this on a this on a... What would it, what would have been the same year? I don't know. Doctor No. I mean, yeah, sixty-two. Yeah, yeah. Prize of Arms followed by Doctor No. That'd be a good <laughs> night out. But I mean, Stanley Baker. The more I think of it, he's kind of he's not a million miles away from Robert Shaw in Pelham, in that he just seems to know what to say, and to be in control. And yeah. that's what I love about it. He's just so good at that. Like, because they have to go through all these checkpoints, and you know, to use my amateur dramatics analogy, there's all kinds of things. It's almost like filming a, or performing an eight-born farce, if you know what those are. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just constantly stuff going around, people moving around. You've got to hope that not too many things go out of your, uh, go away from your plan. Yeah. I mean, it's like right at the beginning when he, he they have the, the, the blank um, form yeah, the, yeah. getting into the camp in the first place. And it's, it's less suspicious having a blank form than having one that's that's filled in with the wrong name. Because mm. he can then blag it 
and he knows what to say to Blaggett rather than having to explain away um, a wrong name on things. And it also gives him the opportunity to pick up the name to use later on to reference who the the um, relevant officer to to be sort of um, mentioning as in charge. And um, that, as you say, it's, it's that knowing in advance and and sort of having that insider knowledge that it shows that he, he, where he's coming from and and you know proves that he, he is the the right guy for this that you would be thinking well surely that's taking a risk you don't need to take but it actually ends up working out the opposite so it's clever absolutely it all seems very believable i mean obviously the script is very good but the way he delivers the lines i mean just it's totally believable for me you know that yeah. they're in this situation that he knows what to say but he's also very tense i mean stanley baker turpin he's called isn't he yes he's a funny mixture of uh, if his first name is richard <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the thing is with with stanley baker he's, a, he's of the age what would he have been 30 mid 30s when this came out i'm 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 guessing so probably served if he didn't serve in the war, he certainly did national service. So he's got experience of that military side of things. So that bit wouldn't be too much of a stranger to him. It is just totally believable, even though... Are there any comic characters? I think Stephen Lewis is almost the comic relief here. Um, mm. Not quite your bumbling, inept security guard. He's not at that level. But it's sort of pitched a little bit that he's not as serious as some of the other characters. You know what I'm trying to say? It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's an almost light relief, but but not quite. I'm not, I'm not sure if he's supposed to be there. It's something about his face. And when you know he's Blakey <laughs> from on the buses, I think it's a retrospective thing, yeah. Yeah, but... but he, is, he is a bit, though. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. There's a little bit, um, the breakdown truck. Do you know who... Is it Glenn Edwards? Yes. Yes. In Zulu with Stanley yeah. Baker. Yeah, who's the other guy? Because I recognised him. You know the two in the breakdown truck. I'm trying oh, to think yeah. who's in the breakdown. Let's go through some of this cast then, this supporting yeah, cast, on, yeah. because uh, and we can point out where they are. Now, top of the list I've got here, Rodney Bues. Yeah. Says one line, doesn't he? And that's in the, one line, yeah. In the naffy, isn't it, mate? He comes up and he says, is anybody sitting there? And it's when they get up and yeah. eat their cups of tea. Right. And That's another trope of old films as well. They have one sip of tea and then they finish it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was the bit the woman behind the the counter said? Did it's she the get the only woman yeah. in the entire film? Again, a very male heavy film. We've got quite a few yeah. of these under our belt lately. She says something to who buys the teas? Tom Bell buys the teas, Tom, doesn't he? Tom Bell, and he snaps at her, doesn't he? But what she, she I think she, she said something about you didn't you didn't say that last night, or you worked like that yeah, last night. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So so she, yeah, that had some sort of party last night. Or yeah, so has she got him mixed up with somebody else, obviously. <laughs> so, so. So, it's bizarre. Um, we've mentioned Stephen Lewis, Blake out of On the Buses. Another mm. On the Buses connection, Michael Robbins. Yeah. Was also in it. Uh, now, Michael, which one was he? Now, yeah, Michael so. Robbins in On the Buses is Olive's husband. I can't think of uh, his name. Um, but he Arthur was Rudge. Arthur. Arthur, of course it is. Now, he was in... Oh, he's in the Paymaster's office, isn't he, I think? Yeah. Yeah. I recognise his face. Yeah. Yeah. Blink and you'll miss him, but he also had a crash helmet on. Garfield Morgan was on one of the motorbikes. Now, Garfield Morgan was probably better known as uh, Regan and Carter's boss in the Sweeney. He was Haskins. Oh. Right. 
but another guy that we saw his face quite clearly on a motorbike. Did you see Jeffrey Palmer? Palmer. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Towards the end, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. That man never changed. He always looked about fifty, didn't he? <laughs> still with us i think actually still alive yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, and we had um also uh uh, michael ripper was in there as well wasn't he michael ripper who was in i always say this was in every hammer horror movie ever but he was you know it's virtually every single hammer horror movie Mm. um good to see him he was the guy at the infirmary wasn't he that told baker to sit in the chair it's really a who's who, isn't it? I, yeah. I'm, as you're saying these, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia pictures. And okay. It's just all so recognisable. Well, there's it's another one crazy. also on the motorbike. Did you guys used to watch The Gentle Touch on a Friday night with Jill Gascoigne? Uh, yeah. Her boss. Yeah, I remember it yeah. too well. But. Yeah, her boss was a guy called William Marlowe. He was on one of the motorbikes, recognised him briefly, very young, because he's in a lot of uh, sort of the kitcheny sinks type stuff that we're going to be covering as well, William Marlowe. Yeah. So I think what better time? Let's hand over to the curator of the Village Hall of Fame, Stephen. It's over to you. <laughs> right. Well, the um, as I said before, we we do actually have five new inductees. Um, <laughs> Incredible. Surprisingly, we don't have anybody who who's got uh, more more than three appearances, which is uh, okay. unusual. Now we've got to this stage, but yeah, yeah the um, three new inductees that include Stanley Baker, who's held drivers and violent program previously. Excellent. Um, but we've also got um, Douglas Blackwell, who was previously in Ten Rillington Place, Ipcrest File, and uh, obviously in, in this Rise of Arms yeah. as well. Um, I can't remember who he, he played in. Okay. Is this um, one of those things? Barry we don't Keegan, uh, Heavens Above and Dunkirk. Yeah. Patrick McNee, obviously, we, we know that he is Seven Days to Noon and, and Scrooge previously. And then. Uh, a guy called John Phillips, who was in Quadrophenia and Dunkirk, and then this. So uh, that's a bit of a, a range. Did you say um, Patrick McNee? Patrick McGee. McGee, McGee. Because it's Patrick McGee is in this McGee, one. McGee, sorry. Yeah. It's mine. So, yeah, so it's all right, because I was trying to yeah. think. Because Patrick uh, McNee yeah, is Patrick in McNee. Scrooge no, he's, as well. he's been He's had one appearance so far previ- um, previously in a, a film with Patrick um McNee, but nothing. Um, no, he's not at a second appearance, and definitely not a third. So that was no, me miss, miss speaking as no, the. Uh, it's only because I thought Patrick says. McNee was in Scrooge as well. That was all. Um, so five new inductees. We are bursting at the seams in the Village Hall of Fame at the moment. And again, apart from Stanley Baker, to a certain degree, Patrick McGee, I suppose. Unknowns, or, or you know, to, to today's audiences, who are these people that are being inducted? We don't know. I wouldn't know them mm. if, even if you were to point them out to me. Yeah, uh, there was actually uh, no. There was another one I wanted to mention. Uh, oh, yeah, Jack May. Yeah. Um, who you, you will probably recognise him at all mm. um, in this film, but um, he is one that because um, I was wrong before. There was one that actually um, has, has racked up more than three appearances. He's now on his seventh appearance. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, gone. Sorry. So yeah, I mean, um, previously um, he was actually in the last time we were Anthony at How on the War. So oh, right. thankfully, yeah. uh, Pool yeah. of London as well. He was in. Um, Not to remember. Um, going further back than that, Seven Days to Noon, um, and then he was in Brief Encounter and Night to Remember and Troubling Star. So he was one of the early inductees <laughs> into the, the the Hall of Fame. But, wow. Um, 
It amazes me every week how this happens. Mentioned off air very quickly, Anthony said Fulton Mackay was in this as well, but nobody spotted him. No. no. I've got no I don't know whether it was a cutscene or whether um we've just blinked and missed him or whether he was just stood in the background somewhere, but uh, apparently, yeah, in it, but we will have I don't to remember seeing him. Um, can you... Go on, sorry. I was just going to say we also saw, um, quite prominently, we saw Stanley Meadows, but he's, although he's a recognisable face to us, he's not actually um, been in anything else is that he's he... done or done a podcast. Is he the guy at the, at the pub? He's the, he's, he's the sergeant. Uh, sar- oh. uh, sergeant White. Sergeant White, yeah. Um, he, um, is that the Scottish one, the cook? Yeah. Yeah. I think so, I think he is, yeah. Yeah, because I also recognise the guy that, that owned the pub. Who gave you the the guy on the bike the, the pint of beer through the window? Oh yeah, he's oh, got yeah. one of those famous character actors that you know surprisingly we haven't come across. So th- once again, the Village Hall of Fame, we're going to have to work out a new criteria because th- there's no room. We're going to have to build an extension or something onto the <laughs> Hall of Fame to, to squeeze all these people in. Maybe you could say they have to be in the film for more than five seconds or something. <laughs> No, because so, that would rule out Victor Harrington, and Victor Harrington is the king of the castle at the moment. So. Oh, right. <laughs> Ten appearances, Victor yeah. Harrington. We're going to have to have an upper, an upper tier, aren't we, or something? Yeah, um, a belfry or something. Yeah. <laughs> can, you, can you find out who the other guy in the breakdown truck is? Not now, but later. Yes, of the course. The one who's with Glyn Edwards, because he's so recognisable. Okay, we'll have a little look in a second. Yeah, yeah. So that's the Hall of Fame. Any sort of final thoughts, chaps? Anthony, come on, let's 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 wind um, this up. Any favourite bits? Anything you want to mention? Um, there were a couple of nods to other heist films. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna, yeah. I mean, I think we should presume that people have seen the film. I mean, I think I think only me and Stanley Baker had heard of it until I uh, told you guys. <laughs> it's uh, not. It's one of those ones that slipped through the net all these mm. years. But um, yeah, there's a couple of things. Um, there's a nod to Pelham 123 in that they decide to stay on the premises instead of leaving. Ah. And if you remember Pelham 123, they decide to fix the train. No, no, I think it's the opposite, actually. They get off the train and they, they instead of staying speeding, on it. Didn't they? Yeah. And this is, this is the opposite. Mm-hmm. But the other things, I mean, it's got these, it's got things that have become archetypes. So as you said, you know, the, um, people having different roles. You know, you've got a specialist, the same with Pelham 123, you had Martin Balsam as the, the motor man. You've got a loose cannon, you've got a cool guy in charge. Yeah. So, I don't know how many heist films have been made before this, that's the thing. I'm sure there are hundreds of other British films. The other thing is a nod to the killing, because right at the end, again, sorry everybody, spoiler, they don't get away with it. <laughs> Amazingly. Uh, the money... Well, the, the truck blows up and the money all blows away, which is, of course, exactly what happens in The Killing. Ah, right. Remember when he's about to get on the plane at the end? Yes, and um, they're sort yes. of taxiing. They're all coming back now, yep. Yeah, and the suitcase falls off and all yeah. the money. And that's been done in a million. That's even done in EastEnders years later. <laughs> that's become a real trope, hasn't it? Of, yeah. Uh, of a suitcase yeah. opening and all the money flying away, symbolising, you know, the, the heist gone wrong kind mm, of thing. Yeah. Um, I just... Yeah, just all of it. As I said, it's a Stanley Baker. It, it's a it's a B movie in that it's got it's got the smallness of a B movie. But as Stephen said, it is really a cut above. And now we don't have B movies, so it could stand as a as a main feature if it was ever. Oh, I, I mean, it's never so. it's never going to be in the cinema again, obviously. But <laughs> it's it's a definitely a worthy inclusion into Real Britannia. 
It's it's a, it's a typical yeah. Real Britannia movie, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe, well, that was one of the reasons. Yeah. Yeah, you've yeah. You, you've you've chosen well, sir. You know, it's it's got the star. It's got Stanley Baker, who is someone that Stephen and I have learnt to admire more and more every time we see a movie. But then there's also this background cast of famous faces, just fleeting appearances. But also, it's it's quite tightly written. It's very well scripted. Mm. Um, and as I say, there's a little bit of a budget on it that, that sets it apart from other B-movies of the time. Stephen, your yeah. first time watch, what did you seriously think about it, mate? Well, uh, to be perfectly honest, when I, in the first few minutes of it, mm. um, I was straight away into two minds because part of me just went... I, it, it threw me, to be perfectly honest, um, because I did go, I did start expecting it to be something that was that was simpler, um, yeah. as we said. Mm. And so I, I got a certain, um, I think it's probably about five minutes into it, and I had to stop and go, I'm going to start that again, um, <laughs> and 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 do this again with the right mind in place for mm. it and the right eye. Um, and from that point, then. Um, it, it just it, it just built and built and built for me to actually um, my appreciation of it and like we've already gone over the the intricacies of, of various mm. bits that are the are almost tropes now but although some of them might have been done um, in other films previously um, there's not a lot of films up until this point I think that were combining um the things in in such a, a, a way. I think there's another film from around about this time called Payroll, which is a bit. Um, this is it's very much a, a you know a real Britannia film. It's got you know it's got stamped all over it with the the cast and everything. The appreciation of it, I think, is absolutely been underappreciated. But um, this, I think, as a as an early example of heist films when. There seems to have been a, a change. I think it was round about in the 60s, both in, elsewhere in the world as well as in the UK, where they um, it stopped being that people couldn't profit from crimes. They had to have a downfall at the end, um, mm. which is a code, code in the it? States. Mm. And I think that got relaxed. And I think there was all, still a view to that in this country, even though it wasn't a production code here, but they obviously wanted to market it over in the States. And this is one pre that change. But the, the comeuppance or the way it actually fails at the end, I think, is entirely believable. And it could be, you know, if it had been made after the code, then it would only be in the ending that would need to be changed um, because the rest of it is such, you know, such a fine film that it doesn't... Each piece, although we've said that it's setting itself up for the next piece and laying crumbs... Um, mm. within the film as well as for us as viewers but also for the actual characters the lane crumbs to pick up on later on there's no foregone conclusions of any of it um yeah. any part of it could have failed or succeeded all the way through in the very end bit there it could have been right up to the last, last minute mm. they could have got away with it oh yeah um, and it is i think an incredibly well crafted film not just the writing but also i think there's a certain amount to the way it has been shot, like you say, with them doing the the flamethrower in at nighttime in the dark, and you know, upon various various bits like that, the way that they they're doing the shots, they're hiding behind the um, shooting range, and you know, you're getting the the, the feeling of the proximity to um, flying bullets, basically, um, yeah. because they've overstayed um, 
in that area mm. um, and what they're doing firing the bullets at night and he got you know can explain oh well you know the walls don't just happen during the daytime sort of thing so <laughs> i think all along in this there's there's lots of little nuances that lift it above being a b movie and certainly yeah. make it that it's something that sits squarely within our our realm as of real britannia but also a, a very much unappreciated gem yes. that um that more people should go out their way for it might not be for everybody but i do think that this is something that people need to 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 look out for because um it, mm. it, it's so well done really yeah it is it's, it's interesting you say you had to go back and watch the beginning again i i watched the beginning three times <laughs> and, and we're You're talk- older than me. well we're talking the first 20 minutes because what happened the first two attempts I, I started watching this because i thought oh it's a b movie with stanley baker i'm not gonna have to focus too much on this i started watching it on the train <laughs> on my tablet and after about 20 minutes obviously you know i'm getting off my train or whatever so i thought oh, that's all right i'll, I'll re-watch it tomorrow so i watched the 20 minutes again on the train journey home i think it was actually and then in the end i thought no there's there's a lot going on here it hits the ground running doesn't it there's no element of them sort of planning this there's no you know them sitting around a kitchen table with like maps and like toy cars you know working all this out. <laughs> it, it actually hits the ground running and in the yeah. same respect it ends it just ends <laughs> this movie there's there's, there's yeah. no afterthought there's no there's no picking up the pieces no moral to this whatever it's just there you go that's the end of it but it certainly hits the ground running as i say and you've got to be focused right from the start just to make sure you don't miss anything because as i said yeah. i'd forgotten that whole bit of setting up the tire tracks which is the first thing we see or one of the very first things we see and it doesn't come into play for about another hour or so and it's like that was yeah i remember that i'm going to give it a rating out mm. of five which is my usual one anthony you can choose to do it out of five or ten sir it's above a three it is a definite four for me this one which in my rating system means that it is one that i'm going to go back to i enjoyed it i found a lot in it uh mm. and it's one that i need to go back to very soon because a it's got stanley baker in it b i need to find fulton mckay uh, and, and the so, guy in the breakdown truck and the guy in the breakdown truck yeah. and, and, and as I said the coolest thing you will ever see forget your Steve McQueen's Stanley Baker with a flamethrower superb stuff I loved it, absolutely loved it we're going to save you till last Anthony because it was your movie okay. Stephen, your rating system yep, as I said uh, go out your way for it because yeah, not everybody I mean Everybody listening to this should be able to appreciate um, black and white films. So there, there might be some people who a uh, heist film isn't their thing, which um, I think they're missing out with. That's their, their thing. But yep. this is one that's incredibly well done. And uh, lots of films that we watch are character studies or, or uh, this doesn't have that fat around it in a way. This, you know, you don't learn a lot about the people. There's, there's yeah. implied things, but this is purely about the actual um the plotting of the film how they the, the it all just plays out as you say it starts and finishes when the, the heist starts and when the heist finishes which is unusual for a heist film yeah it's usually usually the heist actually happens in, you know in the last last third of the film and the rest of it is the the, the planning of it yeah and people coming together and you know finding the the 
finding the, the technical guy or you know whatever so this i think it's got a lot of elements like we've said that either a, a genre defining either because they they've been done before and this is perfecting them or it's actually maybe doing some things for the first um first time so this is definitely one to go out your way for anthony your movie we, right. we know you've got some great admiration for it. Let's let's just hear the finer points of your review, your ratings. Um, I think the word I used at the beginning, the word they always use for these kind of films is taut. T A U T. You know, they always say that. There's no real dead word. I mean, there's not really a dull moment in that. There's a first being hypercritical. The the part about the inoculations that maybe drags on a tiny bit, but you know, it's only this film's only one hour forty. Yeah. Um, I feel like it, the writing, it just has a lot of forward planning, a bit like Stanley Baker, mm. Turpid. Um, in that, the, as you guys have said, stuff that happens at the beginning pays off an hour later. And in fact, if you think about it, what really gets them in the end is Tom Baker not being able to keep calm and the drinking. I mean, we don't know sort of how pissed he is by the end of the film. <laughs> you know, he's been <laughs> slugging that whiskey since six o'clock, you know, because you, you see him right at the beginning uh, having whiskey in his coffee at six o'clock. You see the alarm go off and they wake up. <laughs> so I think in the end, it's 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 about characters in the end. It's about one guy can't keep his cool. And then, you know, because he, he ends up with a flamethrower, doesn't he? And then they, he sets fire to their truck and then cons explosives. And that, that's why the truck um, blows up. So it's just got it's a cut above. The, the sort of genre that it fits into. Yeah, if I put sentimentality into it, it'd be a nine, but I was going to say an eight or eight and a half, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> In honour of Bellini. That is still a great rating to give it. Certainly well-deserved. I think I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I knew I was in for something that was going to be reasonably okay because Stanley Baker was in it. Bit of an unknown quantity seeing a young Tom Bell, not too sure what we were going to get there. And not having any other big name stars to back up Stanley Baker. You're thinking, okay, he's got to carry this movie, but it's not left to him. You know, Helmut Schmidt does exactly amount, the same amount of legwork as Tom Bell does. You know, he's equally as important, all three of them. And the whole script, as we said, brilliant. The way it was mapped out, I couldn't fault, even fault the cinematography and the direction. Cliff Owen was probably better known as a, a comedy director. He, he directed No Sex, Please, We're British and the two Morecambe and Wise movies. You know, this is what these <laughs> guys... Morecambe and Wise ones. What I was going to say his career went downhill, didn't it? What a pedigree, yeah. So for him to come up with something like this, um, yeah, above and beyond, mate. Absolutely superb. I loved it. So I'm, I'm going to stick with my four stars. It's on YouTube as well, everybody. Is it? The whole film is on YouTube, yeah. <laughs> Plug in the name and you can watch it, listeners. Or perhaps we might yeah. have to have... Um, a watch party on Facebook one night, get some of the listeners <laughs> to watch it with us. Yeah. That was A Prize of Arms from 1962. We're going to take a short break because Anthony is going to come back in a few weeks' time and we're going to find out what okay. we're going to be watching. Okay, so that was a prize of arms from 1962. Next time, when Anthony's going to join us in a few weeks' time, we're going to stay in 1962 and 
this all revolves around a conversation that Anthony and I had in the pub last Sunday. And we were chatting about favourite movies and Kubrick was one of the directors that was mentioned. Uh, you asked about Doctor Strangelove, didn't you? I think you asked if we could do, but we've covered that in stinking mm. pause. And I said that my favourite Kubrick, and I'm not being funny about this, it's not the big ones that everybody expects. Um, as much as I like 2001 and The Shining and, and some of the other stuff that he's done, uh, for like Jack. Barry Lyndon, don't you? Barry Lyndon, I loved Barry Lyndon. I saw that mm. on the big screen. I will still stand by that my favourite Kubrick movie is Lolita from 1962. Not mm. because of the subject matter, but because <laughs> it's... <laughs> <laughs> Don't mention that. Yeah. No, it's it's sixties Kubrick, filmed in the UK, and it's got Peter Sellers in it. It's got James Mason. It's a British movie. Stone, isn't it? And Marianne Stone. Yes, of course. I, I'm not sure who else is going to be in this. We're going to have to have a little look because I reckon there's going to be some more people troubling the Village Hall of Fame in that case. We'll have to have a little look. But if you guys are all up for it, Lolita from 1962. Next time, all three of us together. How about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Stephen, you've seen it, haven't you? I have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've seen it twice. I think so. I'll watch it again. Yes. Yeah. So before we go, it's only fair that we give Anthony at least twenty seconds to plug his show. Go on, sir. Right. Yes. Glass (laughs) Onion on John Lennon. A deep dive, as they say in America, into John Lennon. I know the subject has been done to death. But this podcast takes a little bit of a deeper look. We've got some real luminaries among the guests, such as Scott Phipps hey. and a few Beatles authors. And, uh, Dan Richter, who was in 2001, yeah. a few of them, and Scott Phipps. And, and the odd quarry Three man times. as well. So yeah, some, of the guys you, some of the guys you get to take part is absolutely incredible. Anybody that's got a fleeting interest in the Beatles, and John Lennon in particular, please, please listen to it. It's a fantastic show, especially the ones that I was on. Now, yeah, I mean, I just work the guests around whenever Scott appears. So you got Scott, a couple of quarry men, Scott, guy who was the ape in 2001, Scott, <laughs> And I'm going to be back on again very soon as well, talking about Nowhere Boy, the, the yeah, John Lennon movie. Yeah. So um, all that leaves to say is a huge thank you to Anthony for coming along, sir. Thank you, mate. Really great. Great movie. Thank you for bringing that. It's, it's one that we may have got round to eventually, but I don't think it was going to be top of our list. No, no I, I, I put it off any longer because mm. it, it really is one that I'm, you know, I'd seen on a list of films that other, you know, like Stanley Baker had done, but when I would have got around to actually watching it, um, I think I probably would have put it off far too long. And yeah. this this it's has like, definitely pushed it into into my viewing and um, I'm really glad, really glad I have seen it and a bit sort of kicking myself that I haven't seen it before. Yeah, yeah. yeah it slipped through so the net, you. didn't it? Yeah. yeah, we'll be recommending it as well, I think, to people mm. if they want something, mm. you know, in, not just in the highest movie genre, but if it's a Stanley Baker that they haven't seen, it's it's a really great movie. So thank you for that, Anthony. Thank you for being You're here today, mate. Thank you. Stephen, yep. thank you, as always. My pleasure, as usual. We will be seeing all three of us together very soon. Stephen and I will be getting together for who knows what. I can't even remember where we are. I think we're doing the Easter special mm-hmm. next, I think. Yeah. So, this has been Real Britannia. Thanks for listening, guys. See you all very soon. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Take care. Absolute shah. A positive shah. Absolute shah.
Voyage. Good luck. Thank you. British end up, sir. <laughs> <laughs> 